Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for the latest on the Brewers, Bucks, and Packers with the Fan Afternoon Show. On 1250 AM, The Fan. It is the Fan Afternoon Show on 1250 AM, The Fan. I'm Toby Altizer. That is Adam Roberts. We are live from the Lakeland University studios Offering co-op credit for work experience. Learn your way at lakeland.edu. This portion of the show is brought to you by News Nation. You want the news without the noise? News Nation is news for all of America. Reporting all sides. No spin, no agendas. Go to newsnation.com slash join us to find News Nation on your television provider. And now it is time to get out to the Great Midwest Bank hotline and bring in our friend from Sports Illustrated, golf writer for them, Bob Herrig. Bob, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad, Bob. I've I've told people today that generally with golf tournaments, you know, I love watching golf. I'm a huge golf fan, but I don't get a whole lot of FOMO with these things. Maybe the Masters once a year, but I've never wanted to be at a golf tournament more than this Open Championship. Everything I've seen on Twitter and everything just looks phenomenal. How is it being there? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Listen, St. Andrews is a special place, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, you know it's a unique spot in golf and home of golf and all those things. We lose you. You there? We just lost Bob Herrick. We'll try to get him get, back I'll on get the line back. here in a second. But, yeah, just going off of that real quick, like, it looks phenomenal. I've been watching the coverage this entire time. And, again, I don't know that I've ever had a time where I felt like, man, I'm really missing out on something. But this tournament itself, like, I just want to be over there so bad. You know, every other tournament I enjoy watching, and I'd love to be a part of it and follow these people around, but maybe it's just seeing Tiger over there. It's the 150th Open Championship. It's the home of golf. It's St. Andrews, which is phenomenal. I just love to be over there. And, Bob, just I'm sure the environment and everything over there, it just feels incredibly special just being over there and enjoying just how special St. Andrews already is, much less for a special occasion like the 150th Open. No doubt. I mean, uh, the uh, uh, as as you were saying there, <clears throat> it's a special vibe anyway. It, it's it's the reason it comes here so often is because you know it's just so unique. Um, you know, the golf course. You know, basically, at least the first few holes of it and the 18th, first 18th, 17th, second, they they're sort of in the town. I mean, I always make the joke that you could walk off the 18th tee, take a right onto the main street, go up two blocks, 
and you could be eating at a Subway sandwich shop on <laughs> on Market Street in St. Andrews in literally like six minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that close. I mean, <clears throat> the town is part of the golf. And, um, you know, the history, obviously, the golf course has been here almost since the beginning of time. It's It's basically the same layout as when they first played a British open here in 1873. I mean, it's the same the whole, the layout of the holes is basically the same. They're longer now, obviously, but, um, it's just got so many things about it that are, uh, that, that are different than anywhere else. And I think that's what makes for a kind of a cool thing. The idea that it, that, that it could withstand the test of time as it has. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on live because, you know, we see lots and lots of stuff about it. it is a polarizing thing, but did want to ask you one question about it. Is there a divide among the golfers that have gone over to live and those that have stayed loyal to the PGA tour when they show up at these major championships? And maybe this one in particular, is there, you know, maybe not as much friendly banter between them or is it just kind of business as usual for a lot of the guys? Yeah, you know, I think it depends on the guy, frankly. Um, there are some who, you know, really don't like this at all and 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 are, you know, are kind of shunning the, the, the live guys. I believe there's 18 or 20 of them in the field this week. And, uh, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's awkward. Now, there's some PGA Tour players who might not be in favor of what they did but completely understand it. You know, they get it. They know that it's a lot of money, life-changing money. Um, and they, they sort of understand. In fact, there's, there's a lot of players who, who sort of get why we, we got to this point, which is, you know, the, the idea that in, in golf, for the most part, there's no guaranteed money. And I think they'd all like to see some guaranteed money. It's, uh, you know, who among us wants to go on a business trip and, and have to pay, pay for everything and not get paid anything possibly, you know? So, um, there's that aspect of it, but, but then there's the, the part that's, it's disruptive and obviously where the money's coming from and, 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 and how it's sort of dividing people has not been great. And, and there's plenty of people who, uh, who take issue with that, which is understandable. Looking at the most polarizing guy out there this week, Tiger Woods, how has he looked, seeing that he's played quite a bit in preparation for this at the golf course? How has he looked when you've seen him out on the course? You know, I mean, I watched him um, Sunday. Uh, he played all 18 holes. I went the whole way. And, and I thought he looked a little shaky, especially early on. I didn't think he was moving great. Um, I didn't think he was playing great. Uh, but then, then it kind of like, he got a little farther along and, and he started to play better and, and he started to look like he was walking better. And I, so I was wondering, you know, like, it seemed like maybe he wasn't feeling that well, just physically, like maybe a cold or allergies, which seems to happen to him a lot. And, and maybe that was part of the problem early on. And also we, we, we focus a lot of attention on his, on his walking, um, you know, the limp is, 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 is just part of it now. And I think sometimes we might make too much out of it. I think, I think that's just part of what he's dealing with. And so it's a matter of how much pain and how much does it affect his ability to play golf. You know, the longer a round goes on, the, the more that that becomes an issue. 
And I think it's sort of something we've taken for granted too, that, you know, walking is important and your legs are a big part of the golf swing. And when you get tired, um, it impacts it. So, um, he was better as that round went on. And then I noticed how much he was practicing around the greens. He put in a lot of effort, did, did his homework, trying different shots, hitting different clubs off tees, figuring things out. And he played a lot better yesterday, Monday. And then in that four hole exhibition, he was, he was, I thought he was quite good. So now does that mean he'll be competitive? That's hard to say. I mean, I think again, we're looking at, you know, let's see if he can make the cut. That's, that's a big factor, make the cut. And then let's, then we'll go from there. So you don't think there's much of a chance that he could compete on Sunday? I mean, I'd never say never, but it's just so much to ask. I mean, yeah. you know, he hasn't played in a tournament in two months, almost two months. And these other guys all, I mean, they've all played since the PGA. They've all played in another major, you know, some of them have played, four, five, six times since, you know, they, they, they get in, they get into the battle and Tiger hasn't been able to do that. And there's no way to simulate it, you know, and, and he's, it's hard enough as little as he plays makes it even more difficult when, you know, there's no tune up event. There's no chance to sort of kick off some of the rust. Uh, and he acknowledges that, you know, he acknowledges he can try to do everything he can at home, but it's not the same. So I just think that makes it hard. I mean, there's obviously so many great players. Look, I think he could have a good day or two. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if he were able to, you know, uh, you know, maybe get up on the leaderboard for a little bit of time. It'll be interesting to see what the weather is. He's not teeing off until three o'clock local time on uh, on Thursday. Now, sometimes the wind calms down at six o'clock, which is when he would be, you know towards the end of his round, you know, may, maybe that's a, a bonus for him. Um, you know, hard, hard to say. Uh, it, it's, it's good for him that he's not playing going off terribly early. He needs a lot of time to get ready. And I think his tea time on uh, Friday is 10 o'clock local time. So not as much time, but still it's not like it's eight o'clock. So we'll see, but I, I just think it's a lot to ask for him to be competitive that, you know, to have a chance on Sunday is, is quite, I think, the leap at this point. Toby Altizer talking with SI golf writer Bob Herrig here on the Fan Afternoon Show, previewing the Open Championship coming up this week. Looking at the course St. Andrews, you mentioned it. It's very similar to the course that's been played for years and years. Do you think the guys this week are going to be able to overpower the golf course? So much of this course, I understand, depends on the condition. So is the weather predicted to be hard and could we see some really low scores this week? Well, you know, if the wind doesn't blow, then there is a potential for low scores. It's, it's an unusual golf course and it has 14 par fours, only two par fives, two par threes. Um, and while par fives are typically scoring holes, the par fours here are not terribly long, uh, at least in terms of today's game. And if there's no wind, the guy can really have a lot of short irons into the par fours. Now there is expected to be wind. If it's the same wind that it has been for the, for a good number of the practice rounds, they'll be playing into it going out, which means holes basically one through seven. Um, there's, there's, uh, 
There's no par threes in that stretch. It's there's one all par fours and a par five. Uh, the eighth hole is a par three, and I believe eleven is a par three. So, but that stretch of holes would play pretty difficult if if it's into the wind. And now you've now you know you in other words you got to hang on through there. And then then in theory it's downwind coming back in, and there's a chance for some scoring. But still, you know, seventeen is never an easy hole, no matter. So that's the road hole if there's wind. 14, a pretty stout par five, even with wind. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a pushover. It There will be good scores. There's always good scores at this level, even if, if the conditions are difficult. But I, I'd be surprised if it's overrun, given the, the forecast that we have at this point. One final one for you here. It's funny because you, you talk about front runners for this thing, and you know, maybe in, unless you're watching Golf Channel or something specifically golf-related, all you see is Tiger. You see Tiger, you see Tiger, and yet guys like the number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, comes in almost underrated somehow. You have Matt Fitzpatrick, who won the U.S. Open, and no one's really talking about him either. So is there someone that you're looking at that you think you would take as the winner this week, and is there maybe someone that's flying under the radar that you think has a really good shot to win this week? Yeah, you know, it's a good point. There's been so many things. When Tiger plays, and it's only the third time all year, um, it just dominates the discussion. You know, I'm guilty of it. I write, I've written about him probably every day or close <laughs> to it this week, you know. And uh, uh, so, you know, a guy like Colin Morikawa, who won the tournament last year, doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Um, you know, I I think John Rahm is is a guy who people should be looking at as a favorite. Um, played pretty good on Link, in Lynx golf, has a lot of experience at it. Obviously a very solid player, second in the world. Was fourth, I think, at the Open last year. Third or fourth, he was not that far behind Morikawa. Um, you know, like, I don't know that really anybody's talking about him that much. People are talking about Rory, and Rory's obviously a solid choice. You know, can he get off to a good start? The good news for him is he plays on Thursday morning. I think that's a help. He doesn't have to wait around all day. Um, you know, Roy shot 63 here in 2010 uh, in the opening round. Uh, and then in 2015, you know, the year after he had won two majors, he had, had top 10 in the first two majors that year. And he came to the Open actually never got to the open because like 10 days before or a week oh, yeah. before he hurt his ankle playing soccer with his buddies. He was just, you know, fooling around and you still wonder like, cause Roy was really a solid then very playing very, very well in, in 2000 uh, and, and uh, 15. And obviously Jordan Spieth came here with a chance to win the first three. Um, Zach Johnson won, but I mean, you just never know what would Roy have been in the mix or not. I mean, it's sort of a, a missed opportunity. I just think this golf course sets up really nicely for him. So, um, you know, there's a few guys. I mean, I, I think so much of it depends on what the weather's doing when they get out there and uh, can they take advantage when things are calm. Bob, appreciate the time, man. I'm envious of you being over there. <laughs> yeah, it's a good place to be. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. There you heard from Bob Herrig, writer for Sports Illustrated, covers golf, Tiger Woods, the Open Championship, 
and you can check his workout at Sports Illustrated. Also has a book that you should check out, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. You can get that at your local bookstore. That's a phenomenal read if you enjoy that sort of thing. And he joined us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. If applying for a home renovation loan has you feeling anxious, breathe and let Great Midwest Bank help you experience the state of tranquility. Get started at greatmidwestbank.com today. The Fan Afternoon Show rolls on next. 12.50 a.m., The Fan. I'm Toby Altizer, and that is Adam Roberts. We are live from the Lakeland University studios, offering co-op credit for work experience. Learn your way at lakeland.edu. Let me tell you about something you got to check out on the Odyssey app. That is the Daily Boost podcast hosted by BetQL's Lucy Burge, Nick Ashush, and Dan Carpuck. Scan the... They scan the betting landscape each day to reveal the most valuable odds boosts using data, analytics, and the BetQL model. They dive into all of the reasons why you should consider taking advantage of it. As an added bonus, the hosts also unveil their favorite personal picks of the day and this concise, snackable podcast. If you want to check out Odyssey's podcast, Daily Boost, on the Odyssey App. Make sure you do that today. Again, the Daily Boost podcast hosted by Lucy Burge, Nick Ashush, and Dan Karpuk on the Odyssey app. Talking about the Bucks and the Packers, you want to hop in, you can give us a call at 414-799-1250 or you can tweet us at 1250 AM. I want to get back into the the Bucks offseason and some of the moves that they they made slash didn't make because they didn't really have to do anything. You know, they just brought their guys back. And I think that's enough. And so maybe Bart is right that Adam, you you and I are maybe a little bit lower. Maybe it should be a B because maybe we need to commend them more for bringing their guys back. Even if he is wrong, as you pointed out in the break for calling the open, the British open. Yeah, it is the open championship, not the British open. I mean, I guess so. Like I, I said C plus like, We've all been to school before. A C plus could be a 79. That's right on the door of a B. Yeah, I I just I don't know that I want to be blinded by the fact that like they didn't do a whole lot other than bring their guys back. And maybe that's enough for you and probably it should be just enough for people to be satisfied with. But at the same point, if something were to happen, if they're to have an injury, are they able to overcome it? Because and I talked about this right after the Celtics series. We talked about, during that championship run, how incredible it was that with Giannis out, the guys were all able to step up and get it done, right? With Giannis out during that Hawks series, they still found a way to get things going and win that series and get to the NBA Finals where Giannis was ultimately able to return, which is a miracle in and of itself. Chris Middleton misses the series against the Celtics, and, okay, Giannis stepped up, but did anyone else step up? Drew Holiday, I don't think, really would say that he stepped up. Uh, You look at the other guys, Grayson Allen definitely didn't step up. Pat Connaughton gave you some solid stuff, but he didn't really step up, and that's the only reason that I'd be a little hesitant on this, because... We can't just simply blame, well, one of the guys was out. You're you're right, and I do think that if Chris Middleton's healthy, they're probably on a run to another NBA Finals. But you also sometimes have to be able to overcome those things. I'm not trying to belittle Chris Middleton and say that he's not a 
you know, not a very good player. Like I heard some Bucks fans say, for whatever reason, they decided to turn on their own Chris Middleton when he was out for that series. So I'm not going to come out here and say that. But at the same point, during your finals run, you lost the best player in the world and still found a way to overcome it for a series. And yet against the Celtics, you weren't able to. And other points too, like, yes, that Celtics team was better than the Hawks team you played in the conference finals that year. But you get my point here. Again, I don't necessarily have a problem with what they did because I think this team is good enough going into next year again to try and win an NBA Finals. I think that they have the pieces necessary. Are there pieces that I'd like to see addressed? Are there places on this roster that I think could be a little more solid and a little more solidified? Absolutely. Uh, forget who it was that called in earlier, brought up the backup point guard position. When Drew Holiday needs to take a rest, who's playing backup point guard? Are you satisfied with George Hill playing backup point guard? Because I'm not. I, I don't want to see George Hill suit up again if I don't have to. Then you look at Javon Carter, and I like Javon Carter. I think he's a solid basketball player, but I think he's more so a defensive stopper than a true point guard. He can give you some shooting on the outside on offense, but I don't think he gives you the ball handling and the playmaking that you like. And then maybe. Joe Ingles can be that guy, but do you want to give that much responsibility to an older fellow, 34, coming off of an injury? And I just don't know that I want those sort of things to be the case. So that's, again, why I give them a C, C plus. I'd probably sit more closer to a C plus now that, you know, Bart's kind of talked me into it. But you also have to commend them. As much as you say they didn't go get someone, as much as I want to say that, they found a way to have Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis want to still opt into player options when they probably could have made some more money going elsewhere. And maybe the main one there is Bobby Portis, who could have made a decent bit more going somewhere else. But it sounds like both of those guys are looking ahead and will get some sort of contract bump now that they've re-signed with the team. So I just think that everything they did was fine. You know, if if they were to go out there and make a move that was awesome, that was great, I'd give them a higher grade. But it's just, it's fine. It's satisfactory. It it does the job. But it's nothing exceptionally special, and that's that's the grade I give them. 414-799-1250. Let's go out to Nate in North Milwaukee. Nate, what's going on, man? Uh, what's going on, Toby? Uh, what's up, Nate? Do you feel that the Bucks would have beat the Celtics if they had Chris Middleton? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So for me, I feel like if you feel that way, they they can't have no lower than a B for me because um, if you felt that they were able, that they would have been able to beat Boston without Chris Middleton, do you believe that they would have been able to beat the Warriors if they had Chris Middleton healthy? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I said it throughout the series. I thought whoever won that series between the Bucks and the Celtics was going to win. Ultimately, obviously, the Warriors won, but if the if the Bucks got into it, I think they could have beat the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like for so for me, the lowest I feel like the lowest you can really go is a B because they brought back everybody, and you personally believe that they they would have been able to be NBA champions if they had a healthy team and a healthy Chris Middleton, and now they they added two pieces to that. They added. Um, a young rookie who's probably who's who's gonna play a lot. I feel like he's gonna play a lot during the regular season. Um, 
and he's and if I watch I watch both summer league games, he's he's very he's a capable shooter. Um, he can he he plays great defense, and he's able he can he can create for himself and get to the bucket. And then you add another you add a veteran in Joe Ingles who doesn't who, who I know he's coming off the ACL injury, but as far as shooting wise, he doesn't use a lot of legs. For me, um, that's at least that's what I would see. He doesn't use a lot of legs, so it's not like that's the, that would affect him as far as his shooting. And he's not he he's not a he was never a player that used uh, a lot of athletics a lot of athleticism as far as getting what made him the player he was. He he was very he was able to um, run the point a little bit. And if you think about it. In the playoffs, you might be able to close out, um, close out like the last three minutes with Drew Holiday, Ingles, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke as your five. That's probably that's a that's a good for me. That's a good five you're running out there because you got Drew who who's played great defense, who and who can run this offense. You got Ingles. Who's a who's a lethal shooter, and with with Drew and with Middleton and Giannis, you can't you can't always pay attention to Ingles. And if you leave them open, especially in corners, he's going to knock down that shot. Mm-hmm. And then you got great defense in Brook for paint protection. I felt that's and then and then for me, I, I think we talked like a few months back about what do you want to see the Bucks at. I feel like Ingles is what I wanted to see the Bucks at. Just a guy who can come in when Giannis and Drew are, are, are on the um, bench and make a shot or two until they can they come back on the floor. So I, that's why I feel like I just give them a B plus because they didn't they didn't like you said they didn't do the exact the biggest move, but they they added to a team that 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 I felt and that most people felt could already win a championship with the team that they had before. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from, and maybe I'm just being a little bit down on the fact that I, I think we agree on everything. It's just maybe you're a little higher on your grading scale than I am on mine, and that's fine. I, th- I think you're right on everything that you said. I think you did add something in Ingles that can help out and give you some sort of half-court scoring when those guys go onto the bench, and uh, hopefully that everything that they brought back, they can stay healthy and we can see another championship run. Yeah, most definitely. And him and Giannis in a pick and roll like that, that is that is the ultimate, like, what do you do? Like, because if you sag off, Ingles can knock down that shot. And then if you step up to stop Ingles, you leave a, a, a Giannis rolling to the paint with a smaller defender on him. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just a big mismatch for uh, defenses. So I'm really excited to see what Ingles has and how Bud uses all right, Nate, appreciate it, man. No problem. 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in on the conversation. We're going to transition from Bucks basketball now back into the Packers, talk about Aaron Jones and his usage going forward for this Packers offense. Ranked number nine among running backs, according to coaches and executives that talk to ESPN. Do you agree with that? And what do you think his role should be for the offense this upcoming season? 414-799-1250. You can tweet us at 1250 AM 
The Fan. I'm Toby Altizer. That's Adam Roberts. It's a Fan Afternoon Show on 1250 AM. The Fan. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 12.50 a.m. The Fan. I'm Toby Altizer. That is Adam Roberts. We are live from the Lakeland University studios on the Fan Afternoon Show. And this portion of the show is brought to you by News Nation. Want the news without the noise? News Nation is news for all of America. Reporting all sides. No spin. And no agendas. Go to newsnation.com slash join us to find News Nation on your television provider. A little update on Christian Yelich before we get back into a little bit of Packers talk. Craig Council, according to Adam McAlvey, he tweets this out at, at Adam McAlvey. You can follow him on Twitter. Says Craig Council said Yelich felt his back grab just a half hour ago while beginning to get loose for the day. They're encouraged that it's a different spot than the low back issues that dogged him last year. So hopefully it's just something minor that just bothered him a little bit that he'll be able to be back in the lineup soon, even if it requires him to be off for a little bit. Hopefully he's going to be all right going forward. I don't. I don't want to sound too optimistic, though, that it's a different spot, but I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I don't want to be too excited that it's another spot. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I personally have multiple spots on my back that are pretty bad spots for me, and if that's the same situation, I mean, that's not exactly, oh, yay, thrilling. It's not that bad spot in the back. It's a new bad spot yeah. in the back. Yeah, so I don't know exactly how to feel about that, but... Just a little bit of a clarification there, update on what Christian Yelich is dealing with as he's pulled out of the lineup for tonight's game against the Twins. All right, I want to get back into some of the Packers talk. Again, the executives, coaches, different people that ESPN interviewed, I believe it was Jeremy Fowler, that put together a list of the top 10 running backs in the league right now, according to different people within the league. And Aaron Jones was ranked number nine. He was ranked behind number one, Derrick Henry, number two, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook. Then you had Kamara, Mixon, McCaffrey, Najee Harris, and then Aaron Jones. Javante Williams was number 10 to round out that top 10. And I don't know that I agree with that. I think he's got to be a little higher than that. I don't know that I could put Najee Harris above him at this point. Uh, Let's see, who else? Christian McCaffrey, I don't think I can put ahead of him at this point just because of injuries. I don't know that I'll argue about the rest. So then if that's the case, you move him up from nine to what, seven. So again, like I think we're getting a little nitpicky. He's still viewed around the league as a top 10 running back. And you got to be pretty happy with that. But how do you want to see his usage switched up a little bit this year? Because I think he needs to be used in different ways to get him the ball a little bit more in space, get him the ball more volume of times or maybe even less volume, but more so in the receiving game. Because if you take away some of the rushing attempts and give him more receptions, maybe you still only end up with about 15 touches a game. But 
seven receptions is a lot different from seven rushes. Now, seven rushes is pretty commonplace of second, maybe even a third string running back gets on a team that likes to run the football. So that that's not too, too crazy. But seven receptions, that's quite a few. So maybe they need to switch up his role to become more of the passing threat that he can be. The most he's ever averaged in a season in terms of receptions in a game is what he did last year in about three and a half. Had 52 total receptions last year. Maybe you could get that number up to, oh, I don't know, 70 plus. So it's at least four receptions a game, maybe even five receptions a game. And rush him a little bit less and use A.J. Dillon in the running game more. Because I want to see Aaron Jones utilized as the weapon that he can be. You know, Alvin Kamara is who... Bart likes to kind of compare him to and the role that the Saints use him as. Could the Packers maybe contemplate doing something like that? And I think that's a good comparison. You use Alvin Kamara all over the field. You get it to him in various different ways. And I think if the Packers could do a little bit more of that with Aaron Jones, I think that'd be positive because, you know, it used to be for this Packers offense, you could just line up and have Devontae on the outside, whoever's the running back in the backfield, have a couple more receivers out there, and eventually the ball was either going to go to probably the running back or Devontae Adams, and more likely than not, it was going to go to Devontae Adams. They don't have that guy on the outside now, and they're going to have to depend on Matt LaFleur's offense to kind of scheme things open because I don't see Alan Lazard really separating from corners all the time off of his you know personal ability. I, I don't see Christian Watson as a rookie doing a whole lot of that either. Romeo Dubs, Randall Cobb, those guys. Do you see a whole lot of that? Because I just don't. And so the guys that you're going to say like could do it with their own personal ability, the guys that could go out there and flash and show you what they can do with the football in their hands or even just creating space so that they're open for Rodgers to get them the ball are going to be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And I don't know if A.J. Dillon will be as you know big in the passing game. I think he can be. I think that he can be utilized more as a passing back because he's shown that he can catch the football, but ultimately I want to see him run between the tackles. You know, if you need another passing, pass catching back, I think Kylan Hill maybe can give you a little bit of that. I think ultimately I'd rather see Aaron Jones utilized as much as possible as the pass catching back. But how do you see his role changing up? How do you see this offense at its best? Because that's what I want you to think about here. Like, when you look at this Green Bay Packers offense, you look at the players they have, you think of their different skill sets, and then you close your eyes, not going off of what you've seen Matt LaFleur do, not going off of what you'd seen Mike McCarthy do in the past. But if you were the offensive coordinator or head coach, how would you scheme up this offense? How would you draw it up? Because I think what I would draw up if I were the offensive coordinator, if I were the head coach, if I were the one in charge of putting together the offensive game plan, a lot of two-back sets, maybe some multiple tight end sets with two-backs. I mean, we're we're going way back in this sort of way. We're not playing the modern game anymore. We're not playing 11 personnel with one running back, one tight end, and three receivers. We're not doing that anymore. We're We're getting in here and we're going to be a more power-schemed team. And maybe unless 
instead of doing two tight ends, you do one tight end, but Alan Lazard plays in the slot, kind of like a tight end or something like that. But how would you scheme this thing up? Because I'm running two running backs, a tight end, and then two receivers. And that's probably how I'm going to run a lot of my offense. You know, your large majority isn't going to be like that. You're still probably going to end up most of the time spending in 11 personnel with the running back and tight end. But I'd like to see a whole lot more of two back sets. I'd like to see a whole lot more of Dylan and Jones on the field together and being able to use both of their various abilities. A.J. Dillon can run the ball up the middle, but he also can catch the ball out of the backfield. So as much as you want to say you got to pack the box against A.J. Dillon, you still got to respect the fact that he could run a swing route out there and get the ball in a little bit of space on the sideline and maybe make a guy miss or run a guy over out there. So you can't just pack everyone in the middle. And then you think about Aaron Jones and what he can do and how much he can spread the field by his different abilities, I just think if you can utilize both of those guys at the same time, you can see a more advantageous box. And then Aaron Rodgers can kind of use a lot of that to call things at the line of scrimmage. Because the other thing, too, is if they pack the box for A.J. Dillon, sure, you could run it outside or throw it on a swing route out to Aaron Jones, but you can also just throw something in behind them in the passing game. You can get the ball to Lazard or Watson or whatever the case may be. Because... As much as we talk about these running backs, your best player is still Aaron Rodgers. And I think if you put stuff in his hands, and hopefully he's more bought into whatever the offense is that Matt LaFleur wants to run, if it's more running, then hopefully he's bought into it. But you can put the thing more in Aaron Rodgers' hands and kind of let him run the thing at the line of scrimmage, and I think that might be your best option. 414-799-1250. Let's get out to Mike in Pewaukee. Mike, what's going on? Hey, Toby. Um this is a really good topic, and um, I really think that with Aaron Jones' ability to not only receive but to run the ball, and even uh, Dylan, I mean, I think the two of them, if our offensive line can can block properly to bring to resurrect the screen pass like we did in the 90s, I think that's going to be huge. If I was Matt Lafleur, I would institute that. I would I would use it five ten times a game because you know we lost arguably the best receiver in the game and you know who who is gonna who is gonna come even close to the numbers that Devonte did last year and the year before that and the year before that i don't think really anybody and i re- I'm, I'm a big fan of the screen pass and the packers offensive line has proven um you know to be very versatile they can block they block well and even guys like uh uh alan lazard who's an excellent blocker I mean, the screen pass could be huge. It was huge in the 96 season when the Packers won the Super Bowl. I mean, it was instrumental in them winning it. And if we could do that, I think it would go a long way to helping us relieve some of the loss that we have seen in Devontae Adams. Yeah, I would like to see the screen pass because you think either one of those guys can run it if they really want to. But Aaron Jones, you get, you get him in some space with some blocking and he's able to set all that up, and he's so masterful at finding his way through the blockers in the open field. Exactly. And and yeah. even if it's something that you have to dump it down to Dylan, he's been better at setting up blocks, and you know for a fact that if you give him a head of steam, he's at least getting you four yards. Exactly, just falling forward. And then, you know, again with Aaron Jones, though, I mean, he is – He's built more like a, you know, kind of a, a possession receiver or a, 
a juke type guy. He's a little water bug out there. And I'm amazed at, you know, Aaron Jones. And by the way, if I could just slip in there, I'm almost, I was pretty shocked to hear that he was ninth on that list. Yeah. And I must be thinking of a couple of years ago when he was absolutely on top of the world. And I know Christian McCaffrey and everything before the injury, but Aaron Jones, to me, he he was in the top five a few years ago, and that's probably what I was thinking. But I still think he's he's close to that top five. I don't I don't think he's better than Camara. I, I think he's better than Camara myself. So I mean, I put him seven, possibly even six in that list. But you know, I'm biased. I'm a Packer fan. But Aaron Jones is invaluable to this team, and so is Dylan. Quite yeah. quite honestly. So no. I hope they both have big years because this would be a you know. Obviously, like I said, with and like what you've said, with with Adams being gone, we need to you know take some of the pressure off of the of you know the young the draft pick and then uh, you know uh, uh, Lazard and and Cobb because that's 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 a big that's a tall order. Mike, appreciate it, man. Thanks, thanks, Toby. Yeah, I agree with Mike in that he could be a top five running back if you used him as much as some of these other teams use their running backs and give him the amount of touches. I don't know if he could sustain that workload. That's the issue, and I think that's why the Packers have done a pretty good job of saving him, as Bart has said. But if you gave him 25, 20, 25 touches a game, absolutely, he'd be right there and up there with Jonathan Taylor and those guys because you've seen how dynamic he can be. He doesn't necessarily always give you two and three yards, Sometimes he's going to get stopped for no gain or behind the line of scrimmage, but when he finds that little crease, he breaks it off for 25, or he turns a run that should be a 15-yard run into 35. And those are the kind of things that I think differentiate a okay, a, a solid running back from a good running back to a great running back is, and I use this a lot when I look at the Cowboys, how many yards are you creating and how many yards are you just getting because of the offensive line? You know, when you've watched the Cowboys over the last couple of years, Ezekiel Elliott used to be a stud and used to be amazing. But you look at him now, and he basically gets what the offensive line blocks for him. You know, he gets a three and a half, four yards. You know, so maybe he's ended up getting an extra half yard to a yard. Whereas, like, Pollard gets an extra three, four yards and is able to break one every now and then. And I think that's how Aaron Jones is. Is sometimes he's not able to get as much as AJ Dillon in these up the middle runs because he doesn't have the weight falling forward. But when he gets that crease and gets that opening and he hits it, he turns what maybe an average runner turns into an eight yard run. He turns it into 15, 20, or taking it to the house. And that's why I think he's so dynamic and they can use him in different ways. And I'm hoping we can see a real. I wouldn't even say breakout, but maybe you could see a career best season out of Aaron Jones this year because they have to use him in a more expanded role. All right, we're going to take a break. If you're on hold, stick right there. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. I'm Toby Altizer. That's Adam Roberts. It's a Fan Afternoon Show on 1250 AM, The Fan. 1250 AM, The Fan. It's The Fan Afternoon Show. I'm Toby Altizer. That is Adam Roberts here in the Lakeland University Studios wrapping up the final segment here talking about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Jones and his usage going into this season. If you want to hop in before the end of the show, 414-799-1250. Let's get out to James, who's in Waukesha. James, what's going on, man? Hey, Toby, how are you? Good. How you doing, James? Good, good, good. Hey, um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of um, I'm going to answer this question, kind of piggybacking off of uh, a topic on the big show today. And that was 
how can we improve our efficiency in the in the resume? And um, I guess this this is my point. Um, Robert Tanyans in two in twenty twenty had eleven touchdowns, right? Mm-hmm. Eight of those were in the red zone. Our tight ends in twenty twenty caught sixteen touchdowns. Our tight ends caught four touchdowns last year, and two of those were by Tanyan before he got injured. I want to see the Packers, and and there's a reason George Kittle is George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey, and I can go on and on. That that's what I I know Tanyan's not going to come back until halfway through the season, but if we can get through, but that's what we need the tight end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Don't, don't make. Don't get me wrong. AJ Jones and and Aaron Jones. Yeah, they're they're. Think of how much more of a weapon they could be if the tight if you had a tight end. Yeah, one hundred percent. They need someone in that passing game to step step up, and if it's the tight right. end, that might work hand in hand if they're going to run the football a little more too. Right. Right. James, appreciate right. it, man. Thanks, boy. 414-799-1250. One last call before we wrap up today. Let's get out to Steve in Germantown. Steve, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Toby? How are you? Not too bad. How you doing, Steve? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, last call was talking about the tight end position, and I can agree to that. Well, we want to talk about Jones and getting him his 70, 80-plus touches, whatever we're looking at. If we can get Jones 10-plus touchdowns, and I know people don't want to hear necessarily, but a guy like DeGuara, if DeGuara, in my mind, catch tell me what, 40, 45 balls, you know, 400 some yards, maybe a couple of touchdowns. That's, that, that's, that's what we need. That, that'd be huge. I think that would solve a lot of problems as often may have. Um, so I can see them having a, a tough time spacing out the field and letting Rodgers just kind of, you know, freelance do his thing. So it's going to be tough. But uh, as long as you feature Jones in the passing game more than you have in the past, I think you'll, you'll be solving a problem. It's not going to solve every problem. But a tight end, Gabara, you can get in there, man catch 40 balls and make things happen to open the middle of the field. And that just is going to make things easier for Watson, Dubs, uh, Samari Toure, one of these guys, these rookies, you know, right? Yeah. It's going to make the job that much easier. So we'll see what happens a couple weeks away. Very excited, Toby. Very excited. I know you're happy too with uh, McClory getting locked in. I haven't had to hear a single Packers fan call in while saying, I posted man. and tell me that McLaurin's going to end up in green and gold. <laughs> hey, it, was it wasn't just the Packers fans, though. It was across the league. Yeah. This dude could, I mean, any team in the, in the NFL would want that guy, right? Yeah, 100%. You're a very happy man. Congratulations, Toby. That's, that's a hell of a receiver you got there. Appreciate it, Steve. Good to talk to you. Take care, buddy. That'll wrap it up for today's Fan Afternoon Show. It's been fun hanging out with you guys. appreciate Bart Winkler, Bob Herrig, both for joining us today. Fun talking some Bucks, talking some Packers, probably talk a little bit about the Brewers tomorrow as their first pitch will be at noon. So could be a pretty short Fan Afternoon Show or at least a, a disjointed one as Tim Allen will do the Gene Wagner Plumbing Postgame Show somewhere in there. But it'll be fun. Make sure you tune in tomorrow at 3. I'll be hosting again. Sam Schmitz will be back, so it'll be fun to talk with him and see what he was up to these last couple weeks or so. It's been fun. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. See ya. Bowel shaking earthquakes of doubt and remorse Assail him, impale him with monster truck force In his mind he's still driving, still making the grade She's hoping in time that